look at some lessons from the Levites. Some lessons from the Levites in Numbers chapter 3. Let's just look at the first 10 verses as we uh, come to this uh, particular uh, portion of the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 3, we'll look at verses 1 through 10 here uh, as, uh, as we begin. Numbers 3 and verse 1. These also are the generations of Aaron and Moses in the, in the day that the Lord spake with Moses in the mount in Mount Sinai, and these are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab, and the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Uh, These are the names of the sons of Aaron on the, uh, on, excuse me, sons of Aaron, the priests which were anointed, whom he consecrated to minister in the priest's office. And Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. And Eleazar and Ithamar ministered in the priest's office in the sight of Aaron their father. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest, that they may be numbered or ministered, a minister unto him. And they shall keep his charge and the charge of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of the congregation to do the service of the tabernacle. And they shall keep all the instruments of the tabernacle of the congregation and the charge of the children of Israel to do the service of the tabernacle. And thou shalt give the Levites unto Aaron and to his sons. They are wholly given unto him unto him out of the children of Israel, and thou shalt appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall wait on their priest's office, and the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. Now, as we come to this particular chapter, we're going to see uh, God preparing the children of Israel for the wilderness march. Uh, first of all, there, there was, we, as we said this morning, there must be order in the camp. Uh, we saw that in chapter 2, uh, and uh, there was a census so that the men of war might be chosen. We saw that in chapter 1. Uh, the people needed to be certain who they were and to have assurance that they were the sons of Abraham. Uh, then they needed the standards or the flags or the ensigns uh, for the uh, order of the camp so they knew where they belonged. Uh, that was all part of doing things in order. Chapter 3 will give us a look at the tribe of Levi and what they are to do. And remember, they were not counted in chapter 2 because they were exempted from war. And this is the tribe that had the oversight of the tabernacle. And although they were not included in the first census, a census of them was taken separately so they could be assigned to a definite position in the camp. Now there are seven valuable lessons we can learn from the Levites. And in chapter 3, we are immediately confronted with a story that is mentioned five times throughout Leviticus and the book of Numbers. It's the story of two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. Uh, The fact that it is repeated so many times, I think, stresses its emphasis and the importance of the story and what happened. God wants us to comprehend the consequences and the destructiveness of sin and disobedience. And so the first three lessons come from this story. Now, we've read here in Numbers chapter 3, but uh, 
Just hold your place there and go to the book of Leviticus for a moment. Leviticus, it's one book back. Leviticus chapter 10. And look there at Leviticus 10 and beginning in verse 1. Leviticus 10. One And we'll read through verse 3. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, this is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that will that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire before the Lord and were immediately destroyed by the Lord. Now, this strange fire seems to be kind of an ordinary fire, which was placed in their censers instead of using fire that was supposed to come from God's altar in the sacred censers. Uh, they may have also been drunk when they had come before the, the Lord. And what a drastic change in events. And the hoorays and the hallelujahs turned to horror and hurt. Their access to God was denied. Now we find in Leviticus chapter 9 that God would show his acceptance of the burnt offering by consuming the offering with fire. And this fire was to be constantly maintained and was to never go out. In Leviticus chapter 6 in verse 13, we find the altars were very important. And the approach to these altars was important as well. The approach uh, was so important as Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire and they were swiftly judged. And so how does their mistake or not minimizing it, their sin, it's not, I'm not saying just a mistake, it was just a mistake. I'm saying it was a sin before God, okay? How does that apply to us? Uh, How does that apply to you or me uh, this evening? Well, I want you to notice, first of all, uh, the lesson of access to God. The lesson of access to God. The basis of access to God is upon the blood uh, of the sacrifice shed at the brazen altar here in the Old Testament. We have access to the Lord because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Access is very important, especially when you don't have it. Uh, just ask those who do not have access to, uh, uh, well, if I go, I'm going to give you a little history again here. Going back to the last helicopter that left the U.S. Embassy in Vietnam. Just ask them if access was important. Uh, yes, access is important. Now, you or I may not have access to the governor of Wisconsin. Or we may not have access to the President of the United States or the members of the Supreme Court. But as a Christian, we have access to the creator of the universe. You know, there's some very, very important people in our world today that we don't have access. We can't just walk in and say, hey, hey, Mr. President, I want to talk to you. I don't, I can't do that. But I can go to the Lord. 
and say, Lord, I need to talk to you. By the way, he doesn't need an appointment. You don't need an appointment with the Lord. You can go directly to him at any time, any place, and we can seek his face, and we are commanded to do so. In fact, Isaiah 55 and verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon ye upon him while he is near. And so the Bible speaks of our access to God repeatedly. Psalm 24 verse 3 uh, says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn uh, deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from God, the God of his salvation. John 10 and verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. You see, because of Jesus, we have access to God. Jesus is the door. Maybe you, uh, some of you remember the famous magician, escape artist, Houdini. Houdini could get out of just about any set of handcuffs or a straight jacket or anything that was placed upon him. He could be chained. In fact, he would release himself from almost any enclosure in less than one minute. Only once did he fail. And that incident occurred when he was touring the British Isles. He arrived at a small town. He agreed to demonstrate his ability to escape from a local jail. And the cell door was so ordinary looking that he smiled at the simplicity of the task. And when he was given the signal, he used his terrific speed and agility to try to pick the lock. Unfortunately, he was unable to pick the lock. And so in frustration, he frantically tried every device he knew to pick the door. But nothing happened. He worked feverishly for two or more hours, but to no avail. Finally, being in complete exhausted, he fell against the door, lamented in his in defeat, and immediately the door sprang open. His frustration had been due to the fact that the door had never been locked in the first place. You know how frequently, but how similar the deception of Satan is to deceive poor sinners who are seeking a to find a way to open the door to God's salvation. They work, they cry, they fret, they sweat, they pray, trying in every way to bring release to their captive souls. And yet it is only when sinners fall exhausted from their own efforts and rest completely on the door, the Lord Jesus Christ, that they find immediate release and that they desperately sought. John fourteen six a very familiar verse to all of us, I'm sure. Jesus saith, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. A traveler engaged a guide to take him across a desert area. And when two men arrived at the edge of the desert, the traveler looking ahead saw before him trackless sands without a single footprint, uh, no pathway, no marker of any kind. And turning to the guide, he asked in the tone of surprise, where's the road? And with a reproving glance, the guide replied and said, I am the road. And so too is the Lord our way in unfamiliar territory. He is the way. 
Romans 5, 1 and 2 uh, tells us, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have the word access. We have access by faith into his grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have access by faith in Christ. Ephesians 2 uh, and verse 18 says, For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. We have access by the help of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.13, But now in Jesus uh, Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh. That's the same thing as access. Are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We have access through the blood of Christ. Ephesians 1 and verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. We have access by God's grace. Because of all that God has done for us, giving us His Son, and what Christ has done for us on Calvary's cross, we don't have to wonder if God is listening to us. We don't have to wonder if God cares about us. Uh, We don't have to wonder if we can pray to Him. He's already proved his love for us. Ephesians 3.12 says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Now when we look at Nadab and Abihu, we find that they were denied access because of strange fire. They did not follow God's directions. They did not obey God's instructions. And for these reasons... These same reasons, people will not go to heaven if they do not follow God's directions. They do not obey God's instructions because they're not trusting Christ as their Savior. So notice, secondly, the consequences of willful worship. The consequences of willful worship. Now, men are constantly trying to improve upon God's instructions and adjust His instructions or His way to their way. Remember way back in the garden that uh, Adam was sowing leaves to try to hide his shame? In Exodus, the Hebrews added a golden calf to their worship. Naaman did not want to follow God's direction by washing in the Jordan River. He wanted a prophet to put on a show, to strike hands and say some mighty words. You know, there's a lot of hocus-pocus going on today as men substitute their way for God's way of salvation. People are being told that good works, a confessing to a priest, burning candles and incense, praying to idols of saints or the Virgin Mary, using prayer beads or being baptized for the dead will get your prayers answered and get you to heaven. Folks, these are strange fire. That's what that is. These things will not give you access to God. Some folks will worship anything, any way, anywhere, anyhow. But this kind of worship does not necessarily please God. When Christ is not the focus of worship, God is not interested in our pious words. He's not interested in our uh, empty prayers. And if we focus if the focus of worship is upon anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ, that worship is considered as strange fire to God. There are not many ways to God, as willful men preach today. 
There's only one way. And that's God's way. And that way is through his son, Jesus Christ. Now notice with me a third lesson. Sin is not a respecter of persons. Sin is not a respecter of persons. Now Nadab and Abihu willfully and deliberately ignored the word of God and they reaped the consequences. Their judgment in this case was immediate. This held true for Ananias and Sapphira. This held true for Achan. Sin is no respecter of persons. Psalm 37 and verse 1 and 2 says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Proverbs 6 and verse 12 through 15 says, A naughty person and a wicked person walketh with a froward mouth. He winketh with his eyes. He speaketh with his feet. He teacheth with his fingers. Frowardness is in his heart. He deviseth mischief continually. He soweth discord. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. Strange fire leads to eternal death because you're trusting in the wrong things to get you to heaven. And if you're trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ to get you to heaven, those things are strange fire. Now that's the first three lessons from the Levites. And uh, there are some serious lessons. The lesson of access to God, the consequences of willful worship, the sin that sin is not a respecter of persons. But as we continue to look at this chapter, we find that the priests of Israel would come from Aaron's family. Aaron was the first high priest of Israel. He had four sons, two we've already talked about, and they're now dead, Nadab and Abihu. But there is also Eliezer and Ithamar. God's original plan was for the entire nation to be a kingdom of priests. We find in Exodus uh, chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice, indeed keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. But the sin of Israel changed the decision at the incident of the golden calf. It was there that the Levites responded to the call of Moses. In Exodus 32, verse 25 and 26, when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And so the Levites were God's gift to the priesthood. Uh, They were the substitutes for the redeemed of the firstborn sons of Israel who belonged to God. Again, Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. You see, God was looking at Israel as his firstborn. He spared the firstborn of Israel at the Passover when they had the blood on the, the, the doorpost. He slew the firstborn of Egypt. And because of that event, every firstborn male in Israel belonged to the Lord and had to be redeemed by atonement. Now the Levites were chosen by God to be substitutes for the firstborn in Israel. Look at verse 15 here in chapter 3. 
It says, number the, Levi, uh, number the children of the Levites after the house of their fathers by their families. Every male from a month old and upward shalt thou number them. So here you have a census that it's taken to count all the Levites, one month and older, and 22,000 of them were counted. Uh, you see that in verse 39. Verse 39 says, And all that were numbered of the Levites, which Moses and Aaron numbered at the commandment of the Lord throughout their families, and all the males from a month old and upward, were twenty and two thousand. Uh, when a census was taken of all the firstborn males in the land, is actually 22,273 firstborn in Israel. This meant that 273 firstborn males had no Levitical substitute or representative in the priesthood. But they were redeemed by paying five shekels of silver for each one. And this money was given to Aaron and used in tabernacle service. Uh, We see that in verse 47. Down in verse 47. Thou shalt take five shekels apiece by the pole. After the shekel of the sanctuary shalt thou take them. The shekel is twenty giras. And thou shalt give the money wherewith the odd number of them to be redeemed unto Aaron and to his sons. And Moses took the redemption money of them that were over and above them that were redeemed by the Levites. Of the firstborn of the children of Israel took he the money, a thousand three hundred and threescore and five shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave the money of them that were redeemed unto Aaron and to his sons according to the word of the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. Now go back to verse 45. Verse 45. It says in verse 45, Take the Levites instead of the firstborn among the children of Israel and the cattle of the Levites instead of the cattle and the, notice this, and the Levites shall be mine, I am the Lord. The Levites belonged to the Lord. Uh, They were consecrated for service for the Lord. They had no inheritance in the promised land. They lived from the tithes and offerings of the people. They were owned by the Lord. And now there were some valuable lessons, I think, that we can learn from these Levites. And so that brings us to the fourth lesson of this chapter. Size does not determine service. Size does not determine service. The Levites had fewer members than any other tribe. They had 22,000. Other tribes had eight times as many people. Wealth, age, education, size, physical appearance, talent does not determine your usefulness for God. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says in verse 27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You see, the founder of Christianity was but a carpenter in a wood shop in the city of Nazareth. Christianity's first preachers were just humble fishermen and like, uh, 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 and displaying no college ties. You know, if you go to one of these uh, Ivy League uh, schools, you get a, a college tie because that shows you're really somebody, you know. They weren't wearing purple. Uh, they weren't uh, bearing the plumage of aristocracy. 
They weren't waving any banners of nobility. Uh, They weren't boasting any emblazoned coats of arms. They had no financial effluence. And God used these men in a powerful way to reach multitudes for Christ. Usefulness is determined by what? Availability, purity, responsibility, and dependability. You have these traits in your life? God blesses our faithfulness to him. Moses was greatly used because he yielded to the Lord. How yielded was he? Let me ask, have you waited upon the Lord for 40 days on a mountaintop without food and water? That's pretty yielded, isn't it? Have you yielded your life to Christ? Captain Nathan Hale served in the American army during the Revolutionary War. The Americans needed more information about the British Army, and Nathan Hale, dressed in a uniform of the British, penetrated into their lines and learned about them, and he was caught, and he was court-martialed, and he was condemned to die the following day. And as he mounted the scaffold to be hanged, and most of you know what he said, he said, my only regret is that I have but one life to give for my country. You know, God help us to have that same attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ in our service for him. But size does not determine service. Fifth, uh, Number five, another lesson is God owns us. Now again, we mentioned here how the Levites were owned by the Lord. In fact, God owns everything. I'm not making this up, folks. <laughs> But I want you to see that God's word very clearly tells us, first of all, the earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's. Exodus 19.5 says, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. The earth is the Lord's. Israel belongs to the Lord. We see that here in verses 12 and 13. It says, And behold, I have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of the firstborn that opened the matrix among the children of Israel. Therefore, the Levites shall be mine, because all the firstborn are mine. For on the day that I smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I hallowed unto me all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. Mine shall they be. I am the Lord. Leviticus 25 and verse 23, the land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine, God said, for ye are strangers and sojourners with me. And thirdly, the creatures are the Lord. Psalm 50 and verse 10, for every beast in the forest is mine. So when you go out to uh, kill that deer, it's it's the Lord's, by the way, okay? (laughs) It's not yours. The cattle on a thousand hills, they belong to the Lord. The wealth of the world is the Lord's. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The souls of men belong to the Lord. Ezekiel 18 and verse 4, behold, all souls are mine. That's what God's word says. As the soul of the Father, so is the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Christians belong to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? 
For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Romans 14 and verse 8 says, For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. I wonder, have you surrendered to the Lord's ownership of your life? Because God owns us. This leads to another lesson from the Levites, and that is the truth of the priesthood of the believer. Now, this is one of the great Bible truths that we believe as Baptists. And it is what we call, uh, is one of our distinctives. Now, the word Levi means joined. Did you know that? Levi means joined. The grace of God joined them to the ministry of the Lord. And all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. Some had priesthood responsibilities, while others had ministry responsibilities, such as construction or transporting of the tabernacle. Now, the Bible does teach us about the priesthood of the believers. In Revelation chapter 1, it says in verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so we also find the term royal priesthood in the scriptures. What does it mean that we are a royal priesthood? Well, it means that we're to perform the duties of a priest. What are the duties of the priest? Well, number one, we're to show forth praises to God. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The words peculiar people does not mean weird or strange or peculiar in the sense of the word that it's used today. But the word here means to be of God's own possession and belonging to God. Again, we are God's property, just as we've already discussed. But because of this truth, we're to show forth, we're to proclaim His excellencies. Uh, Your life and my life should give glory to God. Let me ask you this evening, does your life give glory to God? So we're to show forth the praises of God. That's one of the duties of the priest. Secondly, we're to offer spiritual sacrifices. 1 Peter 2.5 Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We're no longer under the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Uh, We don't have to kill a lamb and offer it as a sacrifice or an atonement for our sins. No, that was done by the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. Once and for all. So, what are the spiritual sacrifices? Glad you asked. Praises to God are sacrifices. Hebrews chapter 13, 15 through 16. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. You see, if you cannot praise the Lord 
before believers, how are you going to praise him before the lost? Many Christians do not praise the Lord because they're out of fellowship with the Lord. There's sin in their life. And so uh, they can't praise the Lord because uh, they've been, uh, they have been, they're broken fellowship. I wonder how close is our fellowship tonight with the Lord? And so the spiritual sacrifices, praises. Secondly, offerings to the Lord are sacrifices. Proverbs 3 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, Even man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. Your life should be an offering to the Lord. I wonder, is it tonight? You are to present your body as a living sacrifice, according to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And we're to give offerings of love and generosity and kindness to others, according to Philippians 4.18. And then thirdly, prayers for others are spiritual sacrifices. James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, it says there, pray without ceasing. I wonder, how, how's your prayer life tonight? You know, as a royal priest, we have the power of kings over the, the sin and Satan. We're more than conquerors, the Bible tells us. We have the riches of kings. We have Christ's unsearchable riches. We have the apparel of kings. We have the Lord's robe of righteousness. We have the sustenance of kings. All of our needs are met according to his riches in glory. A bodyguard greater than that of a king. He will give his angels charge over thee. Can you imagine what all we have tonight? If we would just stop and think about what God has given to us. So the duties of a priest are to show forth praise, uh, to offer spiritual sacrifices. But then thirdly, we're to keep ourselves pure. We're to keep ourselves pure. 1 Timothy 5.22 says, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be a partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. And then let me close with one more lesson from the Levites. And this goes along with the keeping ourselves pure. We are to be consecrated to the Lord. The Levites consecrated themselves to the service of the Lord. And we too are to be consecrated to Christ. Consecration involves filling our hands with the service God has for us to do. That's our responsibility as believers. Very quickly, let me just give you three key things about consecrating ourselves. Number one, we're to be sold out for the Lord. Luke 14.33 says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Ernest Lewis shared his experiences about his relationship with uh, Jim Elliott. He stated that Jim was one of his classmates in college. Jim was a young wrestler and he was tough, but he was a deeply spiritual young man. Every morning he arose at 5 to 5.30 to read the word of God, to make some notes in his diary. And one day while praying for people overseas, he thought to himself, why shouldn't I go? 
There's one preacher for every 500 people in the United States. And there's one for every 500,000 overseas. Jim could not see a reason why he should not go overseas to preach the gospel. And so he went to the Aka Indians in Ecuador and he ended up being murdered by the people he was trying to reach for Christ. But after his death, they found scattered along the shore a river-soaked diary. And in it, Jim Elliott had written, Make me a crisis man, O Lord, not just a signpost on the highway of life, but a fork in the road so men who meet me will come to know Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've heard that quote from him. You've heard other quotes from him, surely, but let me read that again. Make me a crisis man, O Lord, not just a signpost on the highway of life, but a fork in the road so men who meet me will come to know Jesus Christ. I wonder, are we really sold out for the Lord. Notice also, we are to be separated from the Lord, or from the world. We are to be separated from the world. Second Corinthians 6, 14-17, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth in it with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. There was a certain man that had a beautiful singing canary. His neighbor had a sparrow. And he wanted to see if he could teach the sparrow to sing like the canary. So the two placed their cages side by side. And instead of the sparrow learning to sing, the canary learned to chirp. The canary lost his own song. Instead of teaching the sparrow to sing. And I'm afraid that's the way Christians are today. They've become so worldly they've lost their song for Christ just as the canary did. We're to be separated from the world. And then thirdly, we're to be surrendered in all areas. We're to be surrendered in all areas of our lives. Our eyes are to be surrendered. Our ears are to be surrendered. Our hands are to be surrendered. Our feet are to be surrendered. Our heart is to be surrendered. Our thoughts are to be surrendered. Our lives are to be surrendered. We're to be surrendered in all areas of our lives. And I close with this illustration. There was a Spanish ship, Garona. It was on its way to Scotland from Ireland, seeking refuge for its 1,300 passengers and crew. She was a forlorn survivor of the Great Armada, which had set out in the year of 1588 to conquer England. On board was a young nobleman who wore a betrothal ring, given to him on the eve of his departure from Spain by his beautiful young lover. And the ring was a symbol of a gift of herself to him. But the ship never reached Scotland. A wild storm drove the ship into the jagged rocks and it was broken into two. All but five men perished, including the young nobleman. Centuries later, Robert Steno located the wreck and 
found the keepsake ring. Carved upon its tiny uh, was a, a tiny hand offering a heart, and the Spanish words were translated, I have nothing more to give you. I have nothing more to give you. I wonder, is that what we think? Is that what we're willing to say? I have nothing more. I've given everything, Lord. Or are we holding some things back? You know, the Lord Jesus wants to hear that same confession from us. Are you totally surrendered to Christ tonight? Could you say, I have nothing more to give? Have you given your all? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these Old Testament books that we can even find some wonderful lessons to learn. And I pray, Lord, that uh, the Spirit of God would speak to our hearts tonight. And if there's needs in our heart, there need to be totally surrendered to you tonight. And we pray, Lord, that you'll work in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the many scriptures that we've looked at and how these scriptures point to giving ourselves to you completely. If we're going to do service for you, we're going to have to do it because we've given everything and we have no more to give. So, Lord, we pray your blessing upon the message to our hearts tonight. And as we close our service, we pray that our hearts will be willing to make the right decisions for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Number 390. 390.